Welcome to the Legendarium. She's, there's something deeper, darker in there. In there. Uh, are you implying that she might end up being black? Aja. Dark. <laughs> <laughs> that was excellent. All right, episode 127, I think. 127? Let's call it that. It's uh, The Fires of Heaven Part 2. I'm Craig Hanks, and this is the Legendarium Podcast. And around me are three guys who I am too lazy to insult today because you know what? I'm freaking tired. And so I didn't come up with any insults. Are you guys going to be all right with that? I'm offended that you thought so this I needed is, to be insulted. This is the most insulting thing that I could have done, right, Ken? It's yeah. not even bothered to come up with you something. You didn't even for you. consider us. Well, that's Ken. There's Kyle. What's up? And there's Ryan. Hello, world. Well, well, one of us is happy to be here, that's for sure. Come on, get happy. (laughs) Uh, No, we're all very happy to be here because uh, we're going to wrap up our discussion of the fires of heaven today. And uh, And our machinations ringtone is going like gangbusters. Maybe. I haven't seen the numbers on it, but uh, (laughs) that was awesome. Uh, Ken, I lost my train of thought. What's the matter with you? I do that. I do that. You too. really, really do. Um, all right. So before we get started on the discussion, patreon.com slash legendarium, please, please support the show. We very much appreciate it when you do. And we use that money for good purposes, like making the show a little bit better, improving the equipment that we use. And pretty soon I'm going to upgrade the software we use so that I can put all sorts of crazy effects in there and drive you all completely insane. And one day you'll be able to improve it to improve the the panelists. One day I will be able to pay people who are smart <laughs> to come and replace all of these people who are not smart, and they will be so smart that they will make me look smart uh, versus what these guys do. Anyway, uh, all right, so let's get started. It's obviously the second discussion, so I'm not doing any sort of uh, recap as far as the story goes. Boy, this is like the laziest. Uh, episode opener that I've ever had to do. It's it's nice. Maybe I should just not bother to come up with insults ever. <laughs> Try getting some sleep. It's so much Get easier. Get some sleep. Oh, man, I need sleep. I need it bad. Uh, all right. So I, I went back and remembered that the last time when we last left, we wanted to talk about, uh, Ryan, you were talking about the Shido going on the warpath. Um, very quickly before we get there, let's talk about the Forsaken kill count so far. By my count, it's 6.5 Forsaken down, 6.5 left to go. Does that sound about right? I think, Ryan, you're keeping track of this, right? Yeah, that seems about right. Okay, um, so d- who's gone? Uh, so far, uh, we are... I, my page has to reload. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Riveting radio people. Yes, I know. Uh, let's see, we've lost Belal and Balthamel and uh, Asmodian, which people are, I'm sure you're all having a... Yes, we'll a talk about that. Talk about Asmodeon. Uh, Ishmael, uh, do we say Robin? Robin's gone. And Lanfear, I think, is your that's, point that's five. That's my point five. Your yep. point five there. Uh, who am I missing here? Um, uh, Agnor? Agonor, yeah, I don't think it's that Agonor. Okay. There's seven supposedly dead, but Lanfear and that whole thing is... As we know, there was no brain matter, so there was no death. Um, And I'm I'm holding out hope that that's the case for Moiraine as well, because I love her. (laughs) 
Is that why your spirit got broken? You you said in the first episode that your it spirit was, was broken. I, you know, I, I never did expound on that. I probably should, <laughs> so I don't throw anybody off. It was just, um, I, I, I've had a busy several weeks, and then we read book four, and book four is absolutely immense in, in both page count and word count and in event count. And then book five is... They say it's slightly smaller. Well, that until you actually try to read it, then it's at least as long. Um, and so you have just as much page count, just as much event count, and he ratchets up the character count or the point of view count even more in this one. And so by the time I got to the end of book five, I was freaking exhausted. I'm just completely knackered by what's going on in... Uh, in Randland right now, and to be honest, if we weren't, if this train just weren't a rolling, and I knew, didn't know we were gonna make more episodes, I would take a break right now. I'd be like, all right, I need to go read uh, something. I need to go read Harry Potter because I need a palate cleanser to before I go back into Randland. But I'm not gonna do that because I, I need to keep reading. But uh, who am I kidding? I'm always reading like three books at once. So. It's also good to hear 1920s phrases like knackered come back and <laughs> use. And it's, come, it's, it's due for that to come back around. <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, I, somebody once said, Craig, you were born in the wrong century. And I said, no, that's not true. Just and, the wrong end of it. End of the wrong country. Um, all right. Well, anyway, <laughs> so there's our Forsaken Kill Counter report and my how I'm feeling report. Thanks for the uh, therapy session, everybody. Everybody should know that Craig is actually lying down on a couch right now <laughs> recording this podcast. Oh, that would be the best way <laughs> ever to record a podcast. <laughs> you um, consider that in the new studio. Exactly. We may be getting a new studio here soon, and so uh, I'll I'll send that tip to the decorator. <laughs> Plush loungers. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Ryan, you wanted to talk about uh, how the Shido warpath kind of carving through Randland toward Kyrian is like an illustration of the uh, the adultiness of the book. Um, mainly because uh, we have seen some... This isn't new stuff, but this isn't like the first time that a lot of this violence and everything is being used as a message board. Like, that's a little more, to me, a little darker than just people dying, people being killed by Trollocs and being eaten, things like that. Like, it's dark, but we expect it from these inhuman creatures. Well, these are now humans, these Shido that are on the warpath, and they are, they're leaving messages for Rand using bodies. And I don't mean, like, spelling out SOS, but <laughs> they are, they're leaving bodies hung, hanging on walls and on spikes, so that people can see what, like what it is that the Aiel will do and leaving a message for Rand to know that he's got to get there. And the problem is that he's got to race these people to uh, Kyrian. Kyrian. Mm -hmm. He's got to race them to Kyrian basically before, because if they get to Kyrian and take over, they're in for a major problem, major battle there on top of things. And uh, it was actually kind of fun also um, to sidestep a little bit here to watch Rand use, we talked about how there's not a lot of innovation, but in this time there is a little bit. Uh, they build towers so that he can look through these these spy glasses that this guy is creating. Mm, right. Um, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. They're starting to use a little tech and use their their minds a little bit more rather than just being like, magic you, bam. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the Shido, I don't know. I don't really know exactly the point I want to mm. pull from this other than the fact that... <clears throat> 
it is they're not following IO custom here either. They're not just going that, and taking the that fifth. That was a they question are... that was a question I had because up to this point I never got the impression that the IEL were as um br- no, not brutal. Brutal isn't the right word, but uh savage as yeah. as this. I always got the impression that because of Gito, it was like yeah, we're fierce fighters and we give no quarter and all that stuff or what, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but we respect our enemies. That's, isn't that kind of a thing for them? And so, yeah, as they're carving their way through, I'm like, dang, this guy is really yeah, jettisoning all that. It's almost like they, they have an, an etiquette for fighting and for yeah. battle. And it's, it's noted several times in this book and, and even in the last book, that the Shido are abandoning like ide- ideal or ideal traditions and customs and, and Gito and all of that because even Kuladin, the fact that he even went to Ruidion in the first place, he's abandoning that custom because he did not have permission from the wise ones and he's just continuing down that path. Did he go to Ruidion? I, I don't think he, he ever did. He didn't get inside. He went to stake his claim with false dragon scales and and everything mm. but. but yeah so anyways that he's abandoning all of that in the first place he starts in shadow rising but they they the, the shadow as a whole are taking on the persona of kuladin and not adhering to that and and the other clan chiefs are appalled at some of the things that they're learning that the shadow are doing and like they're complete. He's a completely abandoning their way of life. Well, I think this might be my chiefest complaint about the entire book. Honestly, is is it's set up going in that here's this rogue band of Shido Aiel that we have to contend with, and they're and now they're ravaging the countryside. They're rampaging toward Kyrian, and with all of the perspectives and all of the new points of view we get in this book, we never get to see any point of view from Kuladin. We don't get to see. I mean, he doesn't say. But why a do we word. need it? Why? Why not see the opposing point of view? I mean, here's this guy that's gone completely I'll nuts. I'll tell you why, because we and already s- have like 38 point of view characters. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> and I'm good without 39. And why and why couldn't his be one? I mean, he's supposed to be like, in this book, the foil to the dragon reborn. He's the false dragon reborn. We see nothing from him, and it's kind of anticlimactic. I, my argument that we don't need to see it is exactly what you just said. We know exactly what's going through his mind. He, we don't well, need to. We don't need any insight into what's going on. He is simply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am here to to destroy Randall Thor and the Wetland Ways and to put the Aiel on top. Everybody getting up on Ken. Yeah. Uh, well, it's that's right. It can all be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's cool to think that the way that his plot or the, the his character works in in the overall story is that he's using this um, mantle of Karakarn that he's that he's self proclaimed, and he's using that prophecy of the Karkarn saying that he'll bring change and all of that and he's using that as an excuse to abandon Gito. so anytime somebody questions him on it and says or you know if the if the other clan chiefs or the wise ones or whatever are saying that's not how Gito works all he has to say is Karkarn. the Karkarn brings change Karakarn. and he's using that to his advantage to have his own his own savage you know, yeah. war path, war campaign, or whatever, and and do whatever he wants, basically. Ooh, well, Where that, in contrast, Rand is really trying to stick as much to IEL customs as he can, reasonably. And, yeah, reasonably, and only breaking that using the trump card of Karakarn when absolutely necessary. 
He throws it down like a card game. Car Karn. <laughs> the Car Karn card. Oh, jeez. Say that ten <laughs> times fast. Um, don't, Ken. Don't say that ten <laughs> times fast. Yeah, but he, uh, on top of throwing down the Car Karn card. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Is this going to be a thing now? <laughs> Only for this episode. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I tried. I tried. I'm sorry. The Doing that, he... He always gets thrown back in his face by these I yield, though. Like, how many times do you read the phrase, the Karakarn is not a king? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that phrase is repeated frequently. I'm, I'm actually pretty sure that I've completely shut that phrase out now. So it's like when I see that, and there's a million phrases like this in the books, where when I see that, it's just like the Charlie Brown teacher. Could not possibly process that one more time and care. So... Uh, Just but like uh, the wheel weaves is the wheel wills. Well, that one that one's been abandoned more or less. That was a huge phrase in like the first two books, and then it, it comes up every now and then. But it's yeah. not in all a the lot time. of like in a lot of book series when you revisit common themes or common things like that. Um, I'm a lot more forgiving um, when because it's reminding you of, of something that may have existed a couple books back, or you know someone who's coming into the series may not necessarily know that but when we you are as far into this as we are and it's not that far in terms of the long scale but in terms of word count and time and everything uh-huh. we're pretty far into this you can go ahead and let go of some of these things and it's so if, there, if you don't know it by now you're not gonna know it by the way just to let the listeners know we are i i actually have a whole section here on heaping praise on robert jordan there's a ton that we like but that being said is there is while we're on your complaints uh can you think of any other examples off the top of your head of stuff that you're just like oh my gosh let it go i i'm not specific phrases or just generic things that we keep revisiting probably both yeah both. the the one that i want to see handled differently you can't drop it because it's it is an important part to the interaction but it's the the constant men Women, yeah, men, women. I'll never <laughs> understand women. Oh, if men would only listen! Like I'm so, <laughs> I'm so over this. Like I get it. The genders don't mix as well as you'd like them to sometimes, but they also mix very well in other cases. Yeah. So, like in Snow Huts and Shanjen. <laughs> That's right. Melt that igloo. Yeah. Which, men like meat. They're barbarians. Women like vegetables. They're dainty. Yeah. Well, I'm not even necessarily there, but. Well, that that actually uh, kind of segues very nicely into another topic uh, that we may want to talk about, about around which we shall dance lightly, and that is gender politics in Randland. And this is not something that we've shied away from before, and it's not something we're going to shy away from now, but we did get a listener comment uh, shortly before we recorded this episode, or sorry, before we recorded, yeah, the last episode, gosh. And that was about uh, Robert Jordan kind of turning the tables. Do you remember what the comment was? Basically, he he had described us, let us know that this society works as a matriarchy, not a patriarchy. Which we've noted before, I think. Yeah, and that that role reversal um, affects some of the decisions, some of the thinking of these characters. And that might have been why there's some cognitive dissonance inside of our like our readings because it doesn't jive with our current social setups um to which i would say that's possible um it's possible i don't know the the phrase that he used uh, this the listener who sent in the note the phrase that he used which was striking because we've talked about matriarchy versus patriarchy but the phrase he used was female privilege 
um, and how that's uh, a fact in this world uh, in Randland as a as opposed to what goes on in our real world, right? And so I, I, I thought that phrase was an interesting one to use. Anyway, one of the things, it, it bothers me a little bit to talk about it, partly because we're four dudes sitting around a table and can't offer the opposing female perspective, uh, but also it kind of bothers me just because I'm not sure five books in, and I understand there's a lot of, uh, a lot of word count left to go, but I'm not sure that Robert Jordan is handling it as in in the way that people are talking about, as well as they talk about it, as, as well as they say he does. It's it's kind of interesting and it can be a little bit amusing sometimes. But I'm I'm thinking from a purely kind of strategic storytelling perspective. There's something that comes up a lot, which is Rand can't kill women. He doesn't want to kill women. He won't kill uh, Lanfear, even though he knows he should. And there's a, there's a part of me that's thinking, you know, if if this were if it were a world where female privilege was as big a thing as we're talking about for three thousand years, I think it is, and it was so ingrained into the into the gender politics of Randland, then men shouldn't have that sort of hangup. There shouldn't be an issue like, you know, women are women wouldn't be thought of as a protected or a protectable class in the same way. So I, I guess when Rand is talking about, oh, I can't kill women, it feels like a very chivalric thing to say, whereas chivalry, as we know it um, in our male dominated society, it, it wouldn't have taken hold in Randland in this way. I here's my discrepancy with what you're saying there in that it's not a 100% role reversal. Um, it is a role reversal in power, not necessarily in um, actual activities because the men are still doing the fighting. The men are still, we still have a lot of the generals. Um, that's why, that's, I think that's why it's also a little bit harder to identify that the, that the society has been switched is because the, the roles of protector and things like that yeah. are still very much in place. But in terms of who is it that are making the decisions and power in this world, it is heavily female um, that that are doing that, and that's why I, I, I actually like I, I can agree with the concept um, of what they're saying here, because it's okay that Rand doesn't want to kill women in a matriarchal society because that's still just generally a good thing, and men in this society are still ingrained to protect and to to provide and do a lot of those things. Um, it just means they don't have the same say as in uh, who gets to dictate the actions of. Whatever. So you're talking on a on a macro versus micro scale. So like maybe. So men are still doing the fighting on a micro scale. Like it's a guy with a sword usually, mm -hmm. but it, but it's a land of queens versus kings. Yeah, you got. I mean, we uh, the Amarlin seat, the Queen of Andor. Uh, Barrelane, the first of Mayenne, like you've got a lot of female leadership and a lot of the Sean Chan is a big Shan one. Chan. Yeah. They're all they're all being led by women, and the decisions and the politics of of things, uh, even to go back in on a on a small on a more micro level, the the two rivers, uh, the, the women's, women's circle. Count, the women's circle is who really runs things, and it's that's a frustrating concept. You know, you got the the men's uh, 
the, the town council. Yeah, the village yeah. council and the women's circle. But the, the women's circle really runs things. And so, like, in our society, that would just be one of those uh, – it's, it's read frequently as – uh, the men are just too dumb to figure things out. But in a society where the women generally would have the say on matters of decision making or power there, um, it makes a little more sense and is a little less condescending. And you see it strewn through all the different societies and, and cultures in Randland because you have you have the women's circle. But who really runs the women's circle is the wisdom, you know, naive or whomever the wisdom yeah. is. And it's it's a very decidedly female uh, voice, and then you have even w- amongst the Aiel, you have the clan chiefs, but you have the wise ones. The wise ones, and yeah. the wise ones really make a lot of those decisions, or the clan chiefs make decisions based on a lot of really heavy counseling from the wise ones. A wise one and could so, walk through a battleground, and people, you know, enemies yeah. would part and let whatever wise went through. But a clan chief, on the other hand, you mm. stabby stabby, and just the Aes Sedai <laughs> in general, the Amarlin seat. I guess, I, I guess. I, I totally agree with everything you guys have said. It's just that because of all that, it's a little harder for me to think, you know, if you are if you are marinating in a society where women are making the choices that affect your village, your city, your nation, uh, if they're the ones that are sending you off to war, if they're the ones who decide, you know, how much you're taxed or whatever the decision is, um, it doesn't quite track in my mind that you would have that same attitude of like, oh, well, these weak little ladies need all my protection or, or, you know, well, I know she's a forsaken, but she's still a girl. So I can't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't quite fit in my mind. And forgive me, Reddit commenter, but I'm going to say Facebook or Facebook commenter. I'm going to say that the idea of the roles being switched isn't quite correct. I think Ryan hits it a little bit more on the head where it's more of an evolution of the gender roles changing a little bit rather than a complete 180 degree reversal of it. And so maybe that's, I don't know if that's where the hangup is, is we're trying to look at it as an opposite where it's not really an opposite. It's more of like a 90 degree shift. And there are certain powers that lie more as the matriarchy but there are also, you know, that that kind of chivalry aspect or there are certain gender roles that are the same as we would consider them today or in, in a patriarchal society. So. Right. Yeah. And I think that you can see you can see also the, the mindset of some of the men change a little bit in the sense of like Rand gets to understand a little bit more with the maidens that like although he doesn't personally like it he allows them to fight like he, yeah he finally he was, he was he's been kind of keeping him away from things a little bit trying to do that but but there at the end he finally acquiesces and says okay you can I, fight like yeah. i i get it you don't need to protect like you don't need to be protected the same way i still value i still value women too highly to just treat you to send you out the same way that i would send out men but um i yeah yeah, well, so yeah. As, as, I think we've beaten this topic. Well, together. before we jump off of it really quickly, um, I don't normally like to tie authors' personal lives to like what's going on with a character. Specifically oh, here we go. Because I think that a lot of the times you got to give the, the author credit for creating somebody completely separate from themselves. But there is a very distinct story from Robert Jordan's time in Vietnam that I think connects directly to Rand's decisions 
regarding women and his inability to let them be harmed or to kill them. So Balefire um, is napalm. Yeah, sure. No. <laughs> um, I don't have the exact quote here, and, and I was planning to maybe bring it on for our next book, but I can give you just a quick teaser. Basically, there was an instance while Jordan was serving in Vietnam where he's acquiring targets and he's shooting down the enemy. And What he, was he doing? What was his role? I don't know exactly. Like I said, I, I would need to do a little bit more research on it, but I know I've read this before. Okay. Um, and we, we can bring in a little bit more next time, but he's acquiring targets and basically killing the enemy, and he realizes that one of the targets that he has shot and killed is a woman, and it impacted him on a different level, and uh, to the point where he returns back to the base, to the barracks or whatever, and people start referring to him as the Iceman, you know, cold-blooded, because he basically shot a woman and killed her. And it's something that has really jarred his character. Mm-hmm. And he's he's commented on a few times in interviews and things like that. And that is a very direct piece of his personality or his character that is being imprinted upon Rand and his inability and unwillingness to kill women. So normally I don't like to attach authors attributes to characters or to their book series but i do well, feel like this is pretty that's solid ground pretty solid that applies yeah. pretty well no i i i think you get into danger when you read too much into something in an unwarranted way but you but know I, that sounds like yeah. it fits pretty well so, so. Uh, all right. Well let's let's move on to some other as soon topics. As you say move on i find the quote. Oh you found <laughs> it. Are you yeah. serious? The yeah, whole thing? It, okay. It just well it just talks about um Fine, fine, go ahead. Uh, well, he, he said most of it there. Yeah. RJ vividly described a, an experience he had in Vietnam where he killed a Viet, uh, female Viet Cong. He simply said he spotted a figure holding a weapon and fired on it. Then he acquired the next target. He then realized that he had killed a woman the first and I believe only time that he's done that. This provides an obvious basis for Rand's Achilles heel. Like that's Yeah, it's possible. But it is a very important Achilles heel going forward. Like Because obviously, Lanfear, a Forsaken, or any of the female Forsaken, or any of female en- enemies whatsoever he's unwilling to basically do what he has to do and he it's it's interesting because he's always saying i will do what must be done i'll do what i have to but but no you n- won't. but not yeah. this thing yeah uh okay now shall we move on yes oh, okay <laughs> now that we've beaten the the horse to death again <laughs> Let's talk about the Wonder Girls. Now, before actually, before we talk about the Wonder Girls, there was a question, I think, on Reddit, which is, if we're going to call them Wonder Girls, what are we going to call the boys? So I'd like to get your ideas. Kyle, you gave one away a, a while ago. What was your idea? The, the Bronado. <laughs> which I love. <laughs> any, any other ideas? Mine was boring. I just went with Club Taviran. This, but, this might be yeah. something to throw it on Reddit too and see what they would prefer. Club, Club Taviran sounds like pretty, like a pretty kinky little uh, joint downtown or something. It sounds like a, it sounds like a place that the Bronado would frequent. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to think of anything after Bronado came out. It was, just, <laughs> it was great. That's pretty, pretty perfect. All right. Well, send us your best names for the. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. We need some ideas. We definitely need some for the Bronado on Reddit, Reddit or, or Facebook. Or. Uh, okay, but before we get to the Bronado, let's talk. <laughs> this is really congratulations. Be now it's in. Thank, good job, Kyle. Uh, let's talk about You're the Wonder welcome. Girls. Um, I know we talked about a few things in the last episode, but there are a few other things left to to talk about. 
Um, and I Nynaeve. Okay, let's start with Nynaeve. She is one of my favorites. She's always been one of my favorites, uh, except I think for a good chunk of book two, maybe. <laughs> um, but I think we were talking as a group elsewhere, uh, outside of recording, about how Nynaeve seems to be trying to progress as a person. She's trying to learn and be better and recognize her faults and the other Wonder Girls, uh, Elaine and Egwene, don't seem to. Was it you saying that, Kyle? Yeah. And and I'm not sure I totally agree, but I want to hear what you have to say about that, and then I will smack it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it starts definitely with the interaction and exchange between Nynaeve and Egwene, where... Oh, the and the lying thing where yeah. she well just just the yeah, moral high ground the moral high ground or even just the the interaction that happens in the world of dreams where Egwene starts berating and driving down Nynaeve and I think to an extent and as and as much as I hate Egwene rightfully so to an to an extent I feel like Nynaeve has always been a bulldozer a steamroller she always basically beats people down yeah. to get her way. And has been doing that ever since she was born, essentially. And uh, I can totally see where Egwene and Elaine and any anybody else that interacts with Nynaeve will get fed up with that type of attitude and and finally snap back and and stand your ground. And I think that Egwene does a really good job in doing that. But I think that like everything that Egwene does, she takes it way too far. Um that scene in particular where she is chastising Nynaeve for her ignorance in, in the world of dreams and all of that, she does a couple of things that really bother me um, and that would really bother me if, you know, for, uh, from Nynaeve's perspective or, or any perspective, really. She, one, is completely hypocritical in this situation because she is berating Nynaeve for not having the knowledge and the ability to be walking around the world of dreams and not having the permission of the wise ones or doing things that she's not basically capable of doing. While in that exact instance, Egwene, although she is much more highly trained in in the world of dreams than Nynaeve, is doing the same thing. She is going against her oath to the wise ones. She is meddling in things that she doesn't fully understand. She's doing exactly what Nynaeve's doing while she's berating Nynaeve for doing those things. So the hypocrisy is just so bad in this situation. And the way that she goes about berating Nynaeve was really kind of disturbing to me. I get standing up to her. I get even the, the idea of I've got to keep her off balance so that she doesn't call me out on my stuff that I'm doing. Or that she doesn't, you know, tell the wise ones or whatever. I've got this kind of tactical advantage. I've got her on her heels. But the nightmare that she conjures up for Nynaeve. Ooh, the rapey oh, thing. The yeah. rapey thing really disturbs me. Because in the end, Egwene and Nynaeve are supposed to be friends. And I don't feel like that is something that any reasonable person would do. Friends don't let friends get raped. Get raped. dream raped. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And to me, it just kind of illustrates and nails home 
the type of person that Egwene is, which is awful. <laughs> Why she's so hateable. And and again, I and I appreciate her character. I think she's a very well written character. I feel like I can understand why some people would maybe have some sort of admiration for her. She's very driven, but she's just a terrible person. I I'm not so sure uh, that she's a terrible person. What the way that I read Egwene so far is that Egwene doesn't know who Egwene is yet. She has she's bounced from uh, from mentor to mentor at least now. Four times, right? It was yeah. first. It was Nynaeve, then it was Moraine, then she's in the tower. Now she's with the Wise Ones, and 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 probably some smaller things in the middle there. But she's gone from mentor to mentor and influence to influence. And so she, the way that I read that was that is exactly the way that the Wise Ones have talked to her and put her in her place. And so she is experimenting with that, and she's seeing the results that it can get. And, you know, if you're not careful, <clears throat> like you say, Kyle, this, you know, that's that's terrible person territory that you're wandering into as she does that. But I'm not sure that I'm ready to label her as a terrible person yet. I would say impressionable, maybe See, more so. And and she's surrounded by some really, really uh, forceful people right now. Yeah. Where I see Egwene's character progressing the way that I read her now, just who she is and her thirst for power and her ambition and the things that she's willing to do to people that she supposedly loves or are, is friends with, I would be really surprised if, well, not not surprised, but let me rephrase this. She has a lot of the exact characteristics of a lot of the Forsaken who made the choice to go to the dark one and and become dark friends because hmm. she wants that power she has that ambition she is very powerful she can get stuff done but she's very jealous of a lot of people that outrank her or uh-huh. or or she's jealous of other people's successes as well she can't genuinely be happy for people from what i read so far and uh, it would be really interesting to see if somebody as important as Egwene were to make the decision to, like, become a Forsaken or yeah, something like yeah. that. So, Oof, that would be wild. Because I think that, that she fits be. I think that she fits the mold what, what almost you, perfectly. What do you make of this scene then? Um, and uh, sorry, Ryan and, and Ken, I know this has uh, just been <laughs> no, the two of fine. us going tennis match stuff. a little bit. But um, a Reddit user pointed out after the Shadow Rising episodes uh, that he, he, I think this was a Facebook comment actually, came over and, and made a Facebook comment. But there's there's a scene toward the beginning of book five when Egwene is made to run around the Aiel camp 50 times buck, right. buck naked and th- because it's women you gotta do it buck naked continue <sighs> you have this weird fascination with Robert Jordan's like sexuality or something I don't understand what's going on Ken I just think it's ridiculous but okay continue anyway then I would recommend ignoring it <laughs> <laughs> uh, alright so she's made to run around the camp and she uh, the the 
in her mind, she thinks it never occurred to her to stop before the 50 laps. You know, she, she thinks there's nobody around watching me. I could be done at any time. Or she doesn't even think that. I guess he just states that that's the case. And it never occurred to her to stop before the 50 laps. The wise one said, do it. And so she did it. And I feel like there's there's some learning going on here as far as um, obedience and humility. Not to say that she's achieved those things, but there is some learning going on. I will counter that with one word, pride. I think that she does it because she was told to and she will do it and show them that she will. Like, I don't think humility comes into it at all. I don't think that learning comes to it, in, comes into it all that much. I think that... I will show you that I will do this because I can and I will. She has, through the entirety of the series, you already talked about how she's been bounced to four, through four different mentors. Yeah. Um, she is kind of itching for the chance to be the leader of something, and the only way she's going to do that is by learning these, this unique, the unique things that she won't be able to learn anywhere else. And so right now I'm a little more on the side of this that I can do this. I'm power, I'm strong enough I can do this, and it's a little more pride so that she can be eventually she can be the one in charge rather than being the one yeah which can which is an admirable quality i mean she's gonna she's got that stick to you know what i mean she's gonna do it <laughs> but uh that sounds like golly. somebody who's come out of one too many corporate meetings oh my gosh yes but i mean it's it can be an admirable quality but again like i said earlier like Egwene does with everything in her life she takes it too far most of the time yeah and so that's where we go back to the, the interaction between her and Nynaeve and she just she's got Nynaeve on her heels and she does some really awful things to her and then she continues to do so um, even trying to to push that through Elaine and saying well Elaine you tell Nynaeve that this is going to happen if she does this and, and, and all of that that's going on and uh, that's why I say and, and it could be argued that that is the moment that sparks Back to our original point, Nynaeve mm-hmm. making an effort to work on some of her flaws. I mean, to the point where she's a, she apologizes to Tom and Julian about stuff, and they are totally surprised that that would ever come out of her mouth. And I think it's that moment and the moment that Brigitta gets pulled out of the world of dreams that really kind of shake Nynaeve. But the difference between Nynaeve and Egwene and Elaine to an extent, because we don't get as much of Elaine's perspective. But the difference between those two specifically is that Nynaeve is making an effort to confront her flaws, whereas Elaine is just going to bulldoze everybody to cover up her flaws because she does not want the wise ones to know that she's doing stuff she's not supposed to be doing. She doesn't want Nynaeve to tattle on her for that. She doesn't want Elaine to tattle on her for that. And she's going to do whatever she can to cover that up while Nynaeve as flawed of a person as she is is making those strides towards humility like you were saying mm, for Egwene. Yeah. I think it, that's the difference to me. It, it, I think it, there's more to it than she's just suddenly discovering discovering that she's you know a haughty know-it-all and she's working on that. I think she's, this is the book where she's being knocked down a couple pegs. I mean, because coming into this book she's, she's just fought off a of Forsaken and she's feeling pretty good about herself but now she comes in here and she's in the world of dreams and she gets and she she gets berated by somebody who used to she used to be the one in control of and is is told is made to realize okay i don't know everything here and then she gets 
you know, she gets kicked back another notch by the same Forsaken that she had just beaten. And she's responsible for somebody getting knocked out of the dream world before their time. And, and she's finding all of these things that are making her realize, you know, there's a whole big world mm-hmm. and I'm not at the top of it. The, so she's, this is where she's, she's being schooled a little bit. The other thing that I want to point out too, is that Elaine is taking very, distinct advantage of their surroundings she only sees Nynaeve in the world of dreams or not Elaine Egwene excuse me Egwene would not be able to do that same sort of thing in real life with Nynaeve which you could argue either way she's got it you know she's she's obviously got the advantage in that setting but when you think about tradition like we talked about before and how things have always been done Aes Sedai hierarchy is always based on strength and the power. And no matter what room Nynaeve walks into, Nynaeve, when they become full Aes Sedai, will always be in charge because Nynaeve is the most powerful in regards or in terms of the one power. And so there is a very specific place where that could have taken taken or where that could have happened. And Elaine takes completed or Egwene takes complete advantage of their situation. Right. And I would be really interested, interested to see a scene where they were confronted with each other, not in the world of dreams where it really became a strength of will and strength of power. Because I think that Nynaeve would turn Egwene over her knee (laughs) and swat her behind. Right. Give her such a spank. I, yeah. Ryan, it looks like you're about to say something. Well, I I think the part of the only, even though they're in Teller Unreal and she's stronger, they're part of the only reason that she's able to pull it off is the surprise factor. Like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, you you always listen to me, yeah, and yeah. now yeah. it just it causes her to get go into shock and not be able to speak. So I just want to point out that we've got like ten kind of subjects that we wanted to get through in this episode. I think that was number three. <laughs> and we're 40 minutes in <laughs> now, but this neatly, this neatly segues into something else I wanted to talk about, which is, um, heaping praise on Robert Jordan. Um, there are a lot of little kind of jabs and barbs that we throw his way. Like, Oh gosh, why'd you make that decision? And you know, you're not as good at this as we would like or that. Um, but he has, he has made some remarkable characters here. Um, it's a remarkable world that we wander around in um, for, gosh, uh, 1.9 million words now or something like that, <laughs> something crazy. Uh, but the characters are really something. And the fact that we can sit here and debate about Egwene as though she were a real person with real emotions and uh, and influences uh, is pretty, go- pretty good, I'd say, <laughs> for an author's right. creation. So... Um, we wouldn't be critiquing some of these things in the book if we actually didn't care about these characters. Exactly. Like their flaws as on a personality level. If you write them poorly, we don't care. We don't care enough to actually notice that this flaw is just like they're a bad character. But he's done such a good job in making them each individual, uh, each with a unique... I mean, they all have a, like kind of a single element that drives them. Um, but... If, if they weren't so well written and if we didn't care about the stakes of what was going on here, uh, we wouldn't be able to critique this quite the same. Yeah. And and I, I will say, too, having finished the series 
And we always bring up the fact, you know, wait until the end to judge the piece as a whole so you can see the whole picture. Right. There have been several times in our first five books for these podcasts that I've had to just sit back and say to myself, let them talk, let them talk. We'll talk about it when we're done with the series <laughs> with some of these critiques and, and criticisms because and I th- and I feel like a lot of our listeners are probably doing something similar um, because a lot of the times when we don't have that big picture, we can't see some of the decisions like some of the decisions that are really confusing and, and maybe don't make a lot of sense right now definitely come into play. And, and you, when you see the bigger picture, you say, oh, OK, I get I get that now, whether or not you agree with it is one thing, but that's a huge praise towards Robert Jordan of being able to put that together. And like I said, I don't like Egwene at all, but she is an incredibly well-written, well-drawn character. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I feel like if we talk about other stuff, it's just going to be kind of like bringing it down a little bit, but uh, let's, but let's try. Um, and in fact, you know what, let's just throw caution to the wind and get to a, Ooh, that was cool bit and talk about Balefire yeah. a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Balefire. I've been excited about Balefire for four books now. And finally in book five, it gets its moment or several moments. Um, so Ken, what was your, your checkoff gun? Uh, you mentioned something before we started talking right at the very beginning, you know, he's attacked by, uh, what are they dark called? Hounds? Dark, dark hounds. hounds. Thank you. I was going to call them hellhounds, but that's something different. He's attacked by dark hounds. He summons Balefire, and Moraine tells him, uh, "You can't just go using Balefire willy-nilly because it has this dangerous side effect of everything from right before the Balefire gets reset in time." And so you, I read that and went, "Well, that's going to become important later," and kind of did. <laughs> a little become bit become important later <laughs> based on the power of the bale fire it erases the thread so far back in the pattern when you're being destructive to the pattern in that way which i find very interesting and uh, we'll have to bring it up later because i've made no we know that i'm a few books ahead here yeah but like a lot of what the men do with the power is very destructive in, in, in terms of how they describe it and so the idea of bale fire being so destructive to the pattern itself is a very good caution as to not using it when you don't need to but it also puts things outside of the reach of, uh, like, the Dark One. I would just, like, that's the sort of thing. Right. Wait, what do you mean? Just, like, we know that he, they talked about him being the Lord of the Dead. I would imagine that if you, like, burned a thread back, whatever, like, out of the pattern, you would make it so that, like, you couldn't use that thread anymore. Like, you can't just reattach that thread on further up or something. Okay. Which is why it's so crucial that they use, like, the Forsaken get killed by Balefire. Like, you notice that they've always had to be killed by Balefire. Right. Do they? Or the first two? Like, in book one, are they killed by Balefire? If, I, I don't remember, but I assume that, like, because... Um, the What is it? I think it's in Dragon Reborn or whatever. Um, we talked about how, like, the body's been stabbed and everything's there, but... There's no brain matter. There's no... Like, there's, there's that there. But the fact is, as soon as we know... Um, as soon as Balefire's used on Robin, like... He's gone. Right. You know right. that he's gone and he's out of the picture. Right. Okay. But I think that we there's potential here that you could you could be revisiting people who are not who have not been bail fired properly. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say I can do you uh, one word answer, do you like bail fire? <sighs> Yes. <laughs> that yes. surprises me a little bit. And I, I wonder about your hesitation because if if you are a legendary you know why I hesitate, if you're but... a legendary junkie, uh, 
and you and I'm sure there are at least a uh, a Three. one one of you, of you out there. A ten of you. That's right, a ten. Uh, then you know that Ken hates time travel stuff. When time travel is used as a plot device, uh, Ken doesn't like it uh, because Ken is Ken. Well, that's and now now here's when time well, travel is used as a crutch. Here's where I'm going with this. It, uh, well, one of the complaints people often have with time travel is it makes no sense. You know, if Marty McFly really got, you know, went back in time and did the, then it would affect this in so many ways and blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't make any sense. And uh, and I had a little moment like that with Balefire. Now, I still love Balefire and I think it's freaking sweet. Um, but there's the bit when he is burning away the Dark Hounds. Um, and then Moraine comes up and says, no, 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 you can't do this. And here's why. And she gives her explanation because it it cuts the threads in the pattern. My my question, I guess, before I get to what I was going to say is, and Kyle, you might know, is that, does that mean that it erases the effect that that person has on on the world around them for for the last yeah. few seconds or minutes yes. or whatever and does that apply to objects as well yes i don't know for specifically on objects because i mean the it, first it, part it, of like, your question yes yeah i don't know if it so and like this if is, you're saying like if you bail fired like a seal like well, a dark one seal oh <laughs> i thought you meant or, or, like <laughs> a seal <laughs> um no which you can't because it's quendiar but anyways but i my point which is and this is too. so stupid and this is I, I i'm really bringing it back from our Egwene discussion so work with me here but um if he bail fired the columns it talked about like the columns in the building and mm-hmm. and uh, and this was in book four as well when Nynaeve was in there and somebody had the little uh Turangrial that was bail firing all over the building um it just becomes a mess because if that little section of column disappears then not only is it going to collapse but it's going to collapse five seconds ago and and it's and so what does that mean for the building? And it, anyway, it's kind of one of those things where it's the, like, this is a big giant mess of time travel stuff. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you just have to go, yeah, whatever. And here's, that, here's yeah. my challenge to the, here's how I can make that work. Okay. Objects don't have a thread in the pattern. That's, and that's why I brought up the question that I did. Would yeah. be my Maybe. guess. Like, unless yeah. it's like a song, real or turn real, that's something connected directly to the one power. I would assume that. It the, they don't have a thread in the pattern. You're destroying whatever's there just from the sheer power of of the of the power going through that. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know because there's a moment. But inconsequential also, things don't have connection. That's yeah. yeah. I was gonna say also there's like there's kind of like the safety on the bell fire, which is depending on how strong the person is in the one power is how far back the thread actually gets burned. Right. Right. And like the visualiz- visualization I've always always had of Balefire is when you take a match to the end of a rope and it kind of like burns it down a little bit, but you're not completely burning that entire rope. Whereas if you take and a the, torch... And obviously the, the, yeah. Yeah, the larger the flame, the more you can get down on that rope. Um, but the problem is that... Well, I guess it's not really a problem, but you got to keep in mind that it's not completely getting rid of everything that like Ravine has done. It's only the last couple of minutes. And the only reason that it could stretch that many minutes is because of how strong Rand is in the power. And I don't yeah. remember and how much power he puts in how the... much power he's putting in. But I don't, I don't remember if he's using his little, uh, Angrial at the time. Or I not. think he was the little, but yeah, we got to remember man. that Rand is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful one power user ever. 
And so if his ability to burn that back only a couple of minutes, even if he were using Kalandor or the coding call, the little statue guys, he's probably not going to be able to wink that thread out of existence entirely. Um, maybe, I mean, you could argue, but at the same time, that's kind of the safety that that Robert Jordan has put on it is that there's not, you can't burn it back that far. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's stop talking about Balefire because mm-hmm. we're now 52 minutes in. And well, I but feel like we've we got need some to talk more stuff that, to talk about. That, that is how, but that's how he kills Ravine and that's why Asmodian, oh, Avienda, and Matt are actually not dead. Right. Because they were killed in the whole battle, but right. thanks to Balefire... Killed, hashtag killed, not killed. <laughs> but then, but then Asmodian does die. Oh, and right. I know that's, um, you, Kyle, you were mentioning, I know because you said before we started the podcast that that is a thing. Uh, who killed Asmodian is the who killed Mr. Burns of Randland, right? <laughs> and who people, shot JR, who shot Yeah, Mr. that's because you're old. It's actually who killed Mr. Burns for us young people. He didn't get killed, he got shot. Who shot JR? I don't know. No, care. who shot Mr. Burns? <sighs> I know, but and I, that was just a reference to who shot JR, and nobody cares anymore because I want to talk about Asmodian. Uh, so, Kyle, give me a rundown. So, it it never, it didn't ever get explained or something like that. I know so, it's a little spoilery, but. Uh, no, I mean, we won't talk any further than this book. Let's just talk about what happened in this book. Okay. Um, we don't know. He. Well, you spoiled it for me. He opens the door wherever he's at. He's in the wine and, cellar. Yeah, he's in the wine cellar. Um, and he sees somebody there and he basically says you, and then all of a sudden he's been here. It's yeah. He pulled open a small door intending to find his way to the pantry. There should be some decent wine. One step and he stopped the blood draining from his face. You No. the word still hung in the air when death took him. Boom. And that's all we know. Asmodian gone, which is crazy because I've totally expected that that one. And and I uh, out of nowhere, but. Ryan. You said that when that happened, you got on the wiki and you're like, I don't care about spoilers. I got to know who that was. <laughs> and I had the exact opposite reaction. I read that, and uh, you and the words still hung in the air, and death took him. And I went, you know, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I had care. To, I had to know. I, it was driving me absolutely well, insane. Don't tell me. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Um, but the. But the things that we do know right now I, is that Asmodian recognizes who his killer was. That's really about all we know because yeah. he says you and is surprised by whoever it is and that we know that he's gone and we know that he knows who it is that kills him. And, and that is all we know so far. And supposedly that, I mean, if his first were you, know, it would be along the lines of I, you're going to kill me. I know that you're not here for any other purpose than to kill me type thing. So. Uh, I think the, the the thing that bothered me most about it, and I think part of the reason why I was so driven to find out about who it was, is because he was our best opportunity and our best gateway to get Rand into superpower user, yeah. like to be able to learn the 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 skills of the Age of Legends. Um, but for at least for Rand, um, but we have in this series, Robert Jordan killed one and gave us another by giving Nynaeve the Idom idea. Um, so now they have a forsaken on a leash. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. That they can. But it, but it also d- no longer helps Rand, who does not have anybody to teach him the one power. Because so now the Wonder Girls have this access to Mogadine and all of that information. But they've also always had somebody to teach them how to use the one power. And now Rand is back on his own, and he can't rely on Asmodian to teach him anything about the one power. And 
Luz Theron has been popping up more and more in this book, and which makes me believe that Rand is now going to lean even further into insanity, right. listening to Luz Theron, because Luz Theron is now his only connection <laughs> on learning how to use the one power. I was thinking about that, though. Unless like, he captures another Forsaken. That's that's a lot for Rand to deal with. Gosh. Because, like, <laughs> the so it's the taint that drives men crazy, right? Reaching through the filth to get to the true source. Right. Um, well, he's got that plus Luz Theron cackling in his head, which is super-duper creepy. Poor which Rand. I'm... This is a total speculation theory that's probably going to make most people reading just laugh their heads off. Like, I can't believe you thought that. And this is literally, even though I've read a little bit ahead, like, I know nothing beyond this point. I be- I'm wondering if the taint, like, drives some connection with the Sidene users to, like, their previous incarnations or whatever. And that's why, like, Rand is here, like, hears voices or they, you know, they kind of start to go crazy or whatever. Ooh, nice. Like, if there's some... Even if that's complete crap, that's pretty cool. I, it's just my concept there. Cause yeah. I, I have a feeling that some of these things of, like, voices and stuff like that are common themes between others going crazy. Um, all right. Well, we've got a couple of minutes if we want to talk about one more subject. Actually, Ryan, I know what I want to talk about. Um Moraine's Rudion vision. Yes. yes. And yes. what she saw there and the consequences of it. Uh, ready, set, go. Well, be, she, okay, so she saw basically what she would have to do to help Rand. And that ended and it culminated with her having to sacrifice herself. Um, <laughs> at, I believe it was the docks um, when she tackles Lanfear into yes. this yes. Terangriel. Yep. Um, but it's really, really interesting if you look back from this moment. And look at her change from when she came from out of Ruidion into this woman that she is just basically, she spends all of her time, she swears her oath of, uh, she she promises to Rand uh, using the, not using the oath, but as part of her three oaths, she can't break it, um, saying that she'll obey Rand and she'll do whatever just if, she, if he will help her. You think back to that moment a while ago, um, she knows that she only has this long, you know, to figure out how to train Rand with everything he needs to know before she's out of the picture. Right, right. And so her actions, her temperament, her focus, everything really takes a different uh, weight and a different uh, toll when you know that that's coming. And so I think it's kind of funny that what she saw in Ruidion wasn't necessarily like, this is what you have to do. She played through a whole bunch of different scenarios of if I did this, this and is what will happen. And the best one. And picked the one that would help, that would be that, and it ended, and that's where it culminated because I think she even talked about, there was a line where uh, even in Ruidion she had said, uh, even if I had taken him to my bed and I saw how terrible that one would have worked out and I kind of Shorter, chuckled. Yeah. Right. Um, but like, so her time there was how do I help the dragon? Um, and I'm kind of curious and help me remember if I'm just remembering poorly. Did she go through the glass columns? No, she no, goes no. through the the rings. Is the it? Rings. Yeah. yeah, the rings that show you your possible futures. Yeah, because that's. Uh, I was looking. I'm thinking about the different things that were in Ruidion. <laughs> I know, right? Matt went through and met the, the arches. The doorway. The arches. There's the arches. There's the rings, the and there's the glass columns. It's so like you Matt, walked into. Matt them. went to McDonald's. Moraine went to the Olympics. <laughs> and, it's like you walked into, like, Ruidion's basically a modern art museum. That <laughs> right, right. Through, what happened here? <laughs> Matt walked Whoa. into the Impressionist uh, period. The, uh, yeah, in the modern art museum. Whatever. <laughs> modern art. Uh, the joke is gone now. You screwed it up by conflating modern art with an Impressionism, and uh, now I just... 
I just want to hurt you, Ken. <laughs> um, all right. How about we talk about that Moraine's not really dead? I, I'm. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, I mean, she's going to return as Moraine yeah, the White. <laughs> the only reason, so generally speaking, I'm I, I'm kind of I, I'm along the same lines with you. I, th- I don't think she's dead, and the, the only reason that I don't think she's actually dead um, is because a we haven't really had a major character killed off in this series yet, yeah. and at, by book five, if you're not going to do that at least once, you're probably going to keep most of them around for a while, at least for a while. Uh, the other thing is the way that the death is announced to us is via Lan saying, I can't feel her anymore. Right. Right. And that's the only thing that's like, oh, well, that implies that she's dead. Well, we all know that implications in fantasy are pointless. So. <laughs> well, and we've had several <laughs> dead but not dead instances already. Tom, so Marilyn. Tom, yeah. Matt, Avienda, Asmodian. You know, we've had all these, oh, you're dead, but you're not dead. Dead, not dead. So, it's, yeah, I mean... No body, no crime kind of thing. But also that also means that Lanfear, Lanfear. who knows? This this event, Moraine's death, uh, really, really cemented her in my top spot. I mean, I, I have professed my undying love for sweet little Moraine so many times. Uh, but I, I guess what it comes down to is it, it, up until the very end, everything that she was doing was, in fact to help the dragon reborn there that was her motive uh there was nothing selfish about it now the way that she went about it we can argue and i know we've talked in previous podcasts about how she went about doing those things and how kind of manipulative she could be and that sort of thing but everything was with an eye to that end see and i would argue it wasn't to help the dragon reborn it was to help the world survive well sure so it's a, she it's doesn't. A, she doesn't care about the dragon reborn necessarily. It's, it's a she cares that he, as the tool, survives so that humanity survives. Which I think so by just one more step up. But at the end of right. this book, I think that's changed. I think she. I mean, she's shown clearly that she cares about Rand the person also, but she also is fully invested in helping the dragon become the you know. the moment that I kind of think agrees with that concept the most is the fact that just before, just shortly before she dies, she tells Rand, do not trust any other Aes Sedai. Yeah. Like, she is literally the last of the Aes Sedai that Rand can trust. And I think that him knowing and kind of, because he even talks about how he realizes, like, just exactly how much she's given it. He starts to trust her more, and it really becomes, I'm not going to say friend, because Rand doesn't have friends anymore. He has useful tools. Um, but trusted counselor. Trusted counselor. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, but he starts to see that more just in time to have her taken away from him. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a very crucial point to Rand's ability to work with any other Aes Sedai in the future. In the he, future. Yeah. yeah. He knows He knows that he can't trust them. Well, luckily the Wonder Girls aren't Aes Sedai yet. So, uh, all right, we better wrap it up, guys. We're over an hour now. So uh, final thoughts on the Fires of Heaven, if you have any. Um, <laughs> not on the fires of heaven, but I'm, <laughs> that was that was so there, pathetic. There, <laughs> there are so many. Uh, <laughs> I have one question. No, I was just trying to pull my notes up. Uh, I, have okay. th- I have three windows <laughs> open to different aspects of the story here. I have a question to throw out and see if any of you can give me an answer other than what I've already got. Um, Nynaeve creates an idom in Teleron Tel Aran Riod Riod that 
connects outside of Teleron Riod. Yeah. I'm trying to, I know what, like, if it happens to you in the dream world, it happens to you in the real world, like that sort of thing. To a certain extent. But how does that concept work? Or did I miss a piece there that allowed, like... Yeah, it's weird because I'm it's like sure. what happens to you physically, like what what changes happen to your body. So if you get cut, you get cut in real life. But uh, they're, they're constantly changing clothes, which are yeah. something that's on them, but that doesn't affect what's in the real world. So that's a good question. I, I do wonder because a couple of books ago we saw where one of the wonder girls had shielded a, a member of the black. Eye that's what I was going for in like, the world of dreams. And I don't know. Does, I can't remember. Does Mogadine actually have the physical collar on her when she comes out of the world of dreams or do they actually have to place the new existing physical collar on her? I don't Once think we, she's there. I don't think we ever see that scene, which is mm. when, why I'm kind of, mm. I think that would have been really a clarifying moment for me because mm. it's one of those things like if they, because didn't they also make her drink the tea, which was a point you wanted to fork talk root. about. The fork, the fork root. root. Yeah. Um, like they made her drink the fork root so that they could basically, she, she would be out long enough for her, them to get to her and mm. actually attach the physical one is how I assume it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a that's kind of a blurred edge there for me as to how did this affect the mm. real world enough for you to go yeah. and put Mogadian on a... On so a it seemed like there was a lot more blurring of the lines between Teleron Riot and the real world and and the interfering between the two of them. I don't know. It's Let me just throw a, a quick note out there. I, I think we're all curious to know the answer. And so when you listen to this and you hop on Reddit, if you want to put the answer there, that's great. As long as it does not spoil future books... And if it does, just mark it uh, clearly. So redact that. I don't think any of us are 100% clear to answer yeah. your question. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other final just thoughts? Just like the dream world. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see going forward. I mean, you know, we've got parents sitting out there. I'm interested to see what Queen Morgays does now that she's clearly oh, yeah. not dead, and which her, we knew. I mean, her like little romance that we never talked about with uh, what's his name. Um, yeah. yeah. That's in this. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, Talonvor. Um, Talonvor. What's up with the the seals that are crumbling that are supposed to be made of? You know, we're down to three seals that we know of. Egwene thinks she can make Turangriol, or uh, not Egwene, Elaine. 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 Elaine thinks she can make Turangriol, which is really that would be interesting. Dope. Um, Remind me, by the way, who was the uh, warder that Lan was bound to when Moraine supposedly died? The, the Aes Sedai? We don't know The yet. other Aes Sedai, I mean. Yeah, her name oh, starts mentioned. with an M. It's he said it, yeah. She said it last or in book three. But there's but. there's some trickery going on yeah. there. She, he's not going to end up with some green and three doesn't, other warders. Doesn't this free him up, though, to, you know, for him and... No, not really. It Well, he has, he is, he has been compelled by his... His bond. His bond. Yeah. That he has to go to this other Aes Sedai. But Moraine pretty much said that she had made arrangements with this Aes Sedai to ensure that he was sent where he was supposed to be. Right. keep him alive, which pretty much says that she knows that he's supposed to be with Nynaeve. Nynaeve. And Ugh. that will... I'm waiting for the moment that Nynaeve discovers that and gets really pissed off about the fact that Moraine gave her land like right <laughs> you can't give me land because that's uh, I am not surprised to be one <laughs> <laughs> here here's um, my here's my point our, looking forward though with with Perrin and, and Moraine saying trust no other I Sedai well Varen is there in the two rivers and she's kind of been seen as trustworthy or or intrigued or or kind of tied into all of this 
She's she's also, be. She also said the same thing to Perrin. She's got some game. She said, don't trust Alana. Yeah, don't she's, trust right. There's something deeper, darker in Varen there. Uh, anyway. Are you implying that she might end up being black? Aja. Dark. <laughs> <laughs> that was excellent. Uh, uh, at right. least dark gray, Aja. Let me throw in my final thought. All right. We talked about it a little bit more, but one of my favorite things about this entire series, and, and especially these last couple books, is the psychology of Rand. And that he is talking more frequently with the voices in his head. And this is our Jesus savior character for the whole book. And he's starting to go completely crazy. So going forward as a reader, I'm going to pay attention more to the interactions inside Rand's head and how they affect the interactions that Rand has in, in the world with yeah. his people, with the people that he trusts and doesn't trust. And, uh, yeah, so I, that's one of my favorite things that I think Jordan is has done extremely well is the psychology of most of these characters, but particularly Rand. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess my final thought will be now that I've had a few days break and a couple of conversations with you, fine, fine gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually kind of excited now to get started back into book six. So this was a little refreshing and, uh, I was, I was feeling a little, uh, fatigue and I, I'm betting that'll happen once or twice more before we're done with the series. But, uh, Only but I'm, I'm glad, of, I'm glad for this discussion. It's got me, <clears throat> got me, uh, raring to go again. So I'm going to go start reading book six. Uh, <clears throat> oh man, I'm dying here. So we'd really better go all right thanks for listening everybody go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show and uh once again i I mentioned this in the last episode but my apologies for not setting up a reddit thread on the pre-show for these fires of heaven podcasts Uh, that's my bad but we will continue doing that for future books and so for these ones we'll just do a post discussion thread and call that good for now anyway Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Have a good one. We'll see you next time.